0: That is definitely working smarter. And imagine what you can do with that power at your next tailgate party. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Mr. Kevin Nealon, how are you, sir?
1: How's it going, Chris?
0: Good. Uh, The last time, well, the only time we ever met was at a radio station in Florida, and uh, you were doing gigs in Tampa, where I live, and I was there promoting whatever the hell I was promoting. Do you remember who the other person was that we were talking to?
1: I don't, but I was just talking to your uh, producer. I said, you know, I met Chris once, and I don't remember where it was, but it was a while ago, but I remember you were a nice
0: guy. (laughs) <laughs> well, thank you. We actually exchanged numbers. And from time really? to time, I would shoot you a text here and there. But the other guy that was was there being talked to was Evil Knievel. Was it really? He was like over the phone. They were talking to him. And I remember you and I were sitting there going, "Wow, Evil Knievel, man. So, yeah,
1: there's your phone number right there. So there
0: you go. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've texted you from time to time whenever, like if I watch, for example, like the Chris Farley, uh, Patrick uh, Swayze chippendale sketch
1: that's right the audition yeah i'll text you and say yeah, "Like, was a great sketch. what was it
0: like but let, let, there's lots to talk about let's but let's go into that because to me that might be the funniest sketch in snl history and you were quite involved in it
1: yeah i think i think it was the funniest sketch at least one of the funniest ones that's for sure chris farley's uh, if nobody has seen it it's um chris farley's auditioning to be a chippendale dancer against patrick swayze Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're wearing the leather pants and Farley's got the collar and the bow tie and he's got the cuffs, you know, the (laughs) cufflinks. And I'm one of the judges, kind of like the American Idol judges are sitting behind a a table and it's me, Mike Myers and Jan Hooks. And uh, Chris Farley comes out and he's competing against uh, Patrick Swayze and they're both dancing and Farley's just giving everything he's got, you know, he's swinging his belly around. He's uh, just jerking and, you know, really working hard at it. And the music stopped. And I almost broke up. I've never broken character on that show. You know why? Why? I'm a professional. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, but I came close to laughing on that one. And, um, and of course, uh, he loses to Patrick Swayze. Uh, big surprise but in hindsight and i don't know if this is true i heard that farley was a little reticent about doing that sketch because you know he was a little self-conscious about taking his shirt off but that doesn't sound like farley to me because he would do anything anything for a laugh in fact one time you know he's, he 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 shares an office with uh or he did share an office area on the 17th floor of 30 rock with uh adam sandler david spade tim meadows and uh, chris rock was nearby And Farley's always trying to get them to laugh, right? So he came in uh, once and he said he was going to drop his drawers and stick his ass out as far as it would go in the window (laughs) and take a big dump down into 49th Street, 17 floors below.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So they're all like,
1: do it, do it, Farley, do it. And he did it and he wasn't out far enough. So his his poo landed on the windowsill. (laughs) On the seventeenth floor. <laughs> and it's still there today. <laughs> right. If you go there, you can still see it. <laughs> it's a big stop on the NBC tour,
0: I'll tell you that. <laughs> sure it is, right? Exactly, exactly. But this is this is great, Kevin, because you were one of the longest tenured uh, regulars on SNL, I think to
1: this day. No, no, that that was uh me and Tim Meadows, I think we we're there for nine years. But I mean, there's some people that have been there for uh Horatio Sands, I think it was, and Keenan. Thompson had been there oh, 15 years or something. Well, not
0: the longest, but one of the longest. I mean, nine years on that show is, is a long time. So, I mean, how, how do you last that long on a show that's so high pressure uh, for
1: nine years? Well, first of all, I was surprised I'd ever get on that show because I don't do characters or accents or anything. You know, Dana Carvey was my friend and he got selected to be on that show. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he recommended me. Like I said, I didn't even expect to be on that show. And when I was, I wasn't like a lot of these actors that wanted to become bust out of there and be a big star like within a year or two. I was just saying, this is a great job, man. I'm going to try to keep this as long as I can, you know? Right, right, right. And I just kind of sat back and wrote sketches. I learned how to do sketches and write characters and do do um, characters because I was just a stand-up. You know, I am stand-up. Really, really good stand-up. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> it's true. I'll show you. You'll see. <laughs>
0: So how did, so so tell us what kind of the audition process to get into SNL. You said you didn't think you'd be on the show. How did you, how did you land that?
1: Dane and I uh, shared a house in Hollywood Hills for a little bit. And he got selected to be on SNL. Uh, this was back in the 1900s, Chris. <laughs> 1986, actually. Yeah. yeah. 1986. And he goes off to New York. I'm really excited for him. And two weeks after he's gone, he calls me. He goes, Kevin, I'm out of Laura Michael's house. I'm in the back bedroom. Guess who's in the kitchen. Bill Murray. I'm like, no way. He goes, yeah. He goes, anyway, Lauren was looking for one more cast member. I told him about you. And I think he's going to see your audition tapes. And I'm like, Bill Murray's in the kitchen. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I wasn't what? buying into that other stuff. Cause I knew I'd never get on that show. Right. Cause I don't do characters or accents or anything. So I sent my audition tape in and a couple weeks later, I get another call from Dana out of the blue. Kevin, yeah, I'm back out of Lauren Michael's house. I'm in the back bedroom. Cause who's in the kitchen? Steve Martin. <laughs> no. Yes. Anyway, good news. Lauren, like your tape. I think they're going to fly you in for an audition. I'm like, Steve Martin's in the kitchen? (laughs) 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 Anyway, Chris, I flew in. there. It was a free trip to New York. I figured, you know, what have I got to lose? And I'll see 30 Rock and see where they shoot SNL. And uh, I did my audition, but I wasn't doing characters or anything. I was doing mostly my stand-up. A couple of things that Dana Carvey and I used to do, you know, we'd stand in the driveway of the house we were renting, and we kind of jam on some characters, but there was nothing really concrete. So I kind of winged it, and I went back to L.A. here, and uh, two weeks later I find myself sitting in a high-rise in Beverly Hills across some Lorne Michaels, and he's offered me a job at SNL. And I said, well, thank you very much, Mr. Michaels. Let me think about it over the weekend. <laughs> That's how I roll, baby. That's how I roll. How do you think I got on your show? We've <laughs> been trying for years. I worked it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so so what is it that, that, that Lorne – Is looking for because I I always there's a real connection between SNL and and WWE WWF and that I worked for Vince McMahon for many years and it's the same as SNL. Lauren and Vince both created this whole pop culture phenomenon that's based on rotating talent. You know, talent gets big and they go other places and then you got to bring new talent up. And sometimes the talent pool isn't as good as the other years and sometimes it is. What is it you know that, that Lauren looks for? How do you stay involved in SNL? Because there's some guys that are never on. There's other guys that are on every skit. Like How, how does that kind of dynamic work?
1: Well, it's uh, it's an interesting question. I was hired as a feature player the first year. That meant I was a writer. I was a writer and a feature player. And they guaranteed seven shows I would get on. But I got on every show. And I wrote a lot. And I got a lot of writing done. And the next year, they said, hey, we could uh, – Lauren said – we can make you a regular cast member, or you can keep your writing credit. So I said cast member, and I continue to write like most of us did. You're right; it is cyclical. You know, it's like once everybody's seen your tricks, they're bringing more people in. Yeah. When I first got on that show, Chris, I think there's only eight of us, and now there's like there's like thirty or something. There's it takes so many. Like yeah. Twenty minutes. Yeah, to get the So there were, there were a lot more bigger pieces of pie for each one of us, whereas now I don't know. It's got to be like a you know a free for all over there. But yeah, I mean, I just kicked back. And, and like I said, I wasn't in a hurry to get out of there. I like that job. A lot of people complain that it's stressful. And mm-hmm. uh, and it is stressful, but it's not, you know, I, I was able to withstand it for nine years. And I kind of liked it. And I like doing that. You're talking about,
0: you know, I don't know when you start writing, if it's Tuesday, maybe. And obviously you get to Saturday and then you get Sunday off and you get to do it all over again. I mean, I think that's where the high pressure element comes in. There's not like any, well, there's an off season, but during the season, there's no real off days.
1: Yeah. You do like, um, I think it's like two weeks on a week off, three weeks on a week off. So you get those little uh, windows of a hiatus, but it is true, man. It's a grind. And you give everything you got on that one show that Saturday night. And then all of a sudden uh, you go to the after party. And then by the time you get home, it's like four in the morning, five in the morning. And then you sleep through most of Sunday. And then all of a sudden you're back meeting with the next guest host. And then you're trying to come up with another idea again, go through it all again. Is that what cast members would do or what writers would do? Because you mentioned you did both. No, cast members too, because they want to get on. Mm. They want to get on the show. And if nobody's writing a sketch for them, you know, then they're out of luck. So you know, if you can write, you write. Otherwise, you just pass, pester the uh, writers, write something for me. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I got rent to pay. <laughs> But that never really works, so I think
0: the best thing is to kind of you, – you kind of have to come up with your own stuff, right?
1: Yeah, you do. I mean, I mean, hopefully people will be writing for you. I think I was right in the middle somewhere. I wasn't like the go-to guy like Dana Carvey was, you know. Mm-hmm. He was kind of the – Phil Hartman was in every sketch, you know, because he was a utility guy. Right. And and I was in a lot too. And In fact, I saw Al Franken not too long ago. I said, I, I was kind of the straight man on that show, wasn't I? He goes, no, no, you played Attitude. You were the one who played <laughs> Attitude the best.
0: <laughs> I would think, especially in the 80s, like, you know, I think everybody's got their era of SNL. Yeah. That was back when I was in high school. So you would actually would have parties to watch SNL. And maybe somebody sneaks in a bottle of vodka and you'd be watching, you know, was going on. <laughs> but you guys had, had, a, had a classic cast. You mentioned Carvey and... Lovitz and, and those types of guys, and then Spades coming in, and, and you got Sandler coming in, and, and you mentioned Jan Hooks, who was great, Victoria Jackson. There was a real great four or five year span of just a great uh, core cast, and then
1: other people coming in and out. Yeah, it, it really was. And like I said, after a while, you burn through all your tricks, and Lauren knows it, and you know, the Uppers at NBC knows it. So they start bringing in some cavalry you know, <laughs> they start bringing mm-hmm. people with new tricks until they run out of tricks, and then they keep bringing more. And also, you're getting older too. When I was on that show, I was 33 or 32. And then uh, we're all kind of hanging out, except for one of the other cast members. And we heard he was uh, an older guy and he was 37. That was Phil Hartman. (laughs) I remember 37 sounded so old at the time. Oh man, really? They got a guy, they got an adult coming on the show.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. All right. There are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos, eh, amigas. See, already learning. Ha-ha, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW, like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. Sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. So talk about uh, some of your biggest hits on the show, so to speak. And I would say that one of the all-time great g- sketches that you had as reoccurring characters was Hans and Franz with, with with Carvey. Obviously, Schwarzenegger's huge at the time, but kind of talk about how how great that was, because that's still some, I'll tie you a flabby pectorals is like a Christmas bone. believe me, no one would want to open you. <laughs> that's
1: right. Yeah. Uh, Hans and Franz came up um, after the first season of SNL. Uh, me and Dana Carvey and Dennis Miller went on tour. We did a stand-up tour. I don't know how many cities we did, maybe 30 cities. And we were in Des Moines, Iowa, in a red roof inn. And I was watching, up. it was called Up Close and Personal. I think it was on Showtime or something. And they were interviewing Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, we've all heard him talk before, but just to like hear him in an interview was just kind of it was kind of funny. And that was a long time ago, too. You know, he was saying something like, you know, they said, Arnold, what do you do when you get into town? Like Let's you know, say so you're traveling. What's, what's the first thing you do? He goes, well, you know, I like to slip into the nice light cotton shirt. And then I go out on the town, you know, and then I come back to my <laughs> hotel room and I slip into the nice light, you know, the white cotton sheets, you know, and, and things like that. You know? <laughs> so I called Dana. And he started watching it. And then for the rest of the tour, we just talked, you know, we're talking like Arnold. And uh, we said, you know, we got to come up with some characters based on that for next season. So, yeah, we just got in a room. And I think I went to his apartment or something and uh, we just started hammering it out. And I used to live in Germany when I was a kid. So I came up with the names, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we just thought, hey, this would be great. Two really defensive, out of shape. Pseudo bodybuilders who claim their cousins, distant cousins of Arnold Schwarzeneggers, and you know we're just berate everybody. You know, yeah, you know if you think you're so nice and good and you know strong, you mean now believe me later. I could take your belt off and it would cause a flab All right, <laughs> <let's talk. laughs> But you know, Chris, how they came together. You know, we developed them and then we put them out there. It kind of got a tepid response. You know, we thought, okay, well that was it. You know, we. We gave it a good try, and you know there wasn't much excitement about doing it again. And then I think about a week or two later, I said, "Hey man, let's let's do another Hans and Franz. Let's get that out there." And as soon as we came out, the audience recognized us, mm. and they just went crazy. So then we knew we had to come and hit, hit characters right there. And then uh, other people started to help us write them.
0: Well, it's it's funny, and by the way, Carvey and Miller both talk as Jericho alumni as well. So you're now a, a- oh nice. But That was the era when they were making a lot of SNL movies. Was there ever talk of doing a Hans and Franz movie?
1: Uh, Yeah, there was. It's funny you should ask that because we just did a big uh, Conan O'Brien chat about the uh, Hans and Franz movie. It was called Hans and Franz, the girly man dilemma. (laughs) Girly man. Uh, man. Which is appropriate now, I guess. And (laughs) Arnold Schwarzenegger was going to produce it and co-star in it. no. Yeah, so we talked about that on Conan, and uh, let's see, Robert Smigel was there. He was one of the writers, and me and Conan and uh, Dana. It was really funny. It was a musical. It turned out to be a musical. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and uh, I love the opening because we lived in Little Austria in New York City. <laughs> Little Austria was up. You take the cable car up from um, Randall Island, I think it is, <laughs> and you take it up into somehow you go into Little Austria, and it's black and white. And everybody's yodeling and sweeping the sidewalk with the straw, you know, the broom. <laughs> yeah. And we're walking around, you know, like we're muscle men. And then we decide we're going to go to Los Angeles to find our, our cousin Arnold. So we get on a, a bicycle. On the way out, we start uh, picking up hitchhikers along the way. <laughs> and all of a sudden, they're on a unicycle behind our bike. <laughs> oh No, no, they're on a bicycle belt for three now. It keeps getting longer. And we're stopping at all these places like, you know, Bavarian Bratwurst land and,
0: you know, everything that reminds (laughs) us of
1: Austria. (laughs) Anyway, we get out to California and we hook up with Arnold. The problem was we wrote Arnold into it too heavy. Mm. And so if you didn't do it, you know, the movie wouldn't get made. So that was, I think, one of our mistakes. And then Arnold, I guess he got, he was doing other films. You know, these guys have so many films lined up. And if they just did a, a movie spoofing himself, I think he did Last Action Hero. It kind of like, um, you know, I don't want to do that again. Something else. So anyway, it kind of went away. But we read the script on the uh, SNL, on uh, Conan's oh, show. Cool. Oh, wow. We read a lot of it. Yeah, you can check it out. And then Arnold comes on. <laughs> Arnold comes on a couple weeks later, and he's talking to Conan. He goes, yeah, that was a funniest script. You know, and they're walking down the hallway. And, you know, somebody says, <laughs> how do I get to the bathroom? You say you go down to the hallway. You take a ride at the pictorials. You know, and then you go straight down, you know, to the, to the calf muscle and that's it. And we had him living in a, a house and to get into the house, it was like two big buttocks and the door was in the middle of the buttocks. <laughs> <laughs> he had
0: totally right up the alley of the Hans and Franz vibe, right?
1: Yeah, but he, he loved it. I mean, now he loves it. You know, 30 years ago, it would have been great if he loved it and wanted to really do it. Back then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I think it's still funny. It holds up. Just hearing
0: that voice is great because you got the nuances of it. It's, it's, uh, you're nailing it. Let's talk a little bit about another great bit that you did where you did Kevin Klein's monologue.
1: Yeah, I'm not an impressionist. So I think he was coming in and that was just a practice run, I think. I don't really remember the circumstances for that. Or was that, was that, that was actually on the show, wasn't it? That was part of the opening.
0: Yeah. yeah, you did Kevin Klein's monologue as as Kevin, or you did it for Kevin Klein.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's so funny, Chris, because I'll see a rerun every once in a while, and I'll have no idea what that sketch is about. Right. Or that I was even in it, for that matter. So when you mentioned Kevin Klein, I thought maybe I was just doing something in rehearsal because he couldn't make it. But maybe that's what the sketch was about the cold opening
0: well it's funny too because when when you've been around for a long time like for me i'll see you know a wrestling match or something like that an interview that i did and you'd be like i have no recollection of this whatsoever <laughs> so i was like no it's
1: the best thing you've ever done i'm like oh thanks i guess yeah right i know it i know it. it's uh i guess that's uh when you've been in the ring that long i guess you get kind of beat <laughs> up <laughs> don't
0: remember part of the longevity right yeah how about a subliminal man that was another another great character that you had
1: Thanks. That's kind of what I went into. That's the only character I had going into that show. And that kind of came from my stand-up act. I would, you know, I'd be talking, telling a story and I would just start slipping these things, these words in there because I used to be an, I used to, I went to school for advertising. I have a BS in marketing and and I learned about subliminal advertising in college. So I just kind of combined those two to get things that I wanted. You know, subliminal, if people don't know that subliminal advertising is allegedly, there was a time in the fifties where they would flash a word really quickly on the screen and you wouldn't even consciously see it, but subconsciously you would see it. And then, you know, if it was for Budweiser, all of a sudden you say, oh, man, I really feel like getting a Budweiser, you know, I don't know for some reason. <laughs> so, you know, it really wasn't, it didn't work or it didn't happen. So I thought that would be a kind of a cool character. And it's actually the first sketch I did Chris um, on that show. And yeah. I'm about ready to go on to do that because it's, it's difficult to do because you're inserting words, you know, in the sentence like, um, you know, I went over to your house the other day, and you have such a beautiful house, Sesspool. I mean, I love it. I love your house, the way you've got it all fixed up, um, sewer pit. I mean, just I love it, you know. <laughs> anyway, things like that, you know. So uh, I'm getting ready to go on. I'm kind of going on my lines in my head. and we're like ten seconds away from commercial. And Lauren Michaels, the creator of the show the producer, he comes up alongside me. He puts his hand on my shoulder, and he said, looking up to me, he said, are you sure this is what you want? <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't much of a distraction.
0: Because that's the thing. Lauren, Lauren will kill a sketch instantly if he doesn't think it works. If you, if you rehearse it and it doesn't get a good reaction, he'll cut it like as the show's going, right?
1: Unless he's in it. <laughs> that was one of the tips uh, that you give to the new writers. If you want your sketch to get on put Lauren in it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was it. That was the first sketch. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. And then I talked to John Lovitz. He's the, my boss and he's giving me a promotion because I said, you know, they're working really hard promotion. And, and, um, <laughs> I don't know if there's anything involved in it. Mets tickets, you know what I mean? And uh, <laughs> I want you to have some Mets tickets for the game tonight and on the way out to Victoria. Victoria, uh, you're doing a great job here and right? we should have dinner sometime. You're a treat. All right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> your treat that's right <laughs> yeah. so you know you're saying about how you watch that show when you're in high school mm-hmm. usually whenever anybody um, their favorite cast is always when they were in high school yeah because that's when people watch I guess in high school
0: yeah that's what I was saying that was your era and even for us a little bit earlier like in junior high school the, the Martin Short, Harry Shearer, Christopher Guest era was a great one and then it kind of went dark for a few years and then it came back only one or two seasons, and then it was you, like I said, with Dana Carvey, because Carvey was so huge. You know what I mean? And, and then Lovitz mm-hmm. got huge, then you were there, and, and they had such a great, you know, so Carvey was kind of the star. I like, and then the, way, it went into, I like the
1: way you say that. Carrie got huge. Lovis yeah. got huge and you were there. Yeah, you were there. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you were in it, you know. But that's what I mean though, like that but that's what I mean, you're always there. And then and then yeah. Farley comes in and you're there still. And, and then of course then you're doing the the weekend update which is it was that was kind of not as cool until you got it. That's one thing I would say you took to the next level was weekend update.
1: Yeah, well the thing with we, weekend update. By the way, you know, you say it was quiet for a couple of years. Lorne Michaels left that show after the original cast, Belushi and you know, all those people, for five years. He was there mm-hmm. for five years, then he left. And then uh, uh, I think her name was Jean Domanian took over. And, yeah. Ebersol. Um, Ebersol, Dick Ebersol. Yeah. yeah. And it, they just didn't find their footing. And they had really good actors on the Robert Downey Jr., Anthony Michael Hall, Julia Louise Dreyfus was on there. Right. And it just wasn't, the synergy wasn't there or the writing wasn't there. And then Lauren took it over again. And he had, Oh, he had one season. That's the one that uh, Robert Downey Jr. Those guys were on. But yeah, I guess the synergy just wasn't there. And then they kind of cleaned house on that one, except for John Lovitz and Dennis Miller, I think, and Nora Dunn. And then brought us in. And that's kind of when it, it you know started clicking again. But yeah, weekend update uh, was fun for me to do. It was a sit down job, which I like. And uh, but it was difficult because I had to do continue to do the sketches and write uh, write different sketches for myself. And then try to come up with weekend update jokes too. Hmm. And the difficult part was you couldn't even start thinking about weekend update jokes until like Saturday morning, because all the, you know, the talk show hosts covered all that stuff during the week. Right, right, right. So, um, you know, Saturday morning, I get up early, get like all the papers, the newspapers, because back then there was no Google, there was no like internet or Google or anything. So we had to look at AP photos, Associated Press photos, and then uh, just get newspapers. So... It's funny, I would, you know, they, a lot of the writers didn't want to write for Weekend Update because it wasn't a glorifying job. It was just you know, coming up with uh, stories, Weekend Update stories. So Lorne, and I would be paying people in LA, like comedy writers, $50 <laughs> a joke to send me, to fax me uh, jokes for the show. <laughs> and, uh, and so Lorne finally started putting out a, a hot buffet up on the 17th floor in the writer's wing to try to entice writers to come. and uh, write some jokes. And he had the the newspapers out there, you know, on the table. And the only ones that came were the the newer, younger writers who weren't that good, and Al Franken, because he was a political pundit. And Norm Macdonald would come up just to have a hot breakfast and read the paper. It's like he was sitting in a cafe. (laughs) (laughs) Just to hang out? (laughs) Yeah, just have breakfast and read the paper, see what's going on.
0: (laughs) But that's a certain kind of a, a small collection of, of distinguished gentlemen and ladies, so to speak, the ones that are able to hold down the uh, the weekend update for it, because that's something that's been going on since season one in SNL yeah. and continues to this day.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is, it is. It's really the focal point of the show. It's the centerpiece. Once you hit the weekend update, you know the show is kind of halfway there. You know, all the strong sketches have been on already. <laughs> all
0: right, so I'm like 10-0 and 0 when it comes to snagging the last delicious factor meal in my house. Before the new weekly delivery arrives, we all love factors ready to eat meals here in the Jericho household. They're fresh, never frozen, chef crafted, and dietitian approved. And best of all, they're ready to eat in just two minutes. Eating better has never been easier or more delicious. There's over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. So before I jumped on the plane to get the dynamite this week to wrestle Atlantis Jr., I had grilled steakhouse filet mignon with parmesan cream, spinach, and broccolini. Two minutes to heat it up, ate it right out of the factory container and then tossed it in the garbage. Fast, easy, and delicious. No prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. You can fuel up with Factor's restaurant-quality meals, too. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. You can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime, and Factor is less expensive than takeout. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com T-I-J-50 and use code TIJ50 to get 50% off. That's code TIJ50 at factormeals.com slash TIJ50 to get 50% off. So what, what made you finally decide to leave
1: SNL all those years later? Several different reasons. I had been there for nine seasons. I was getting bored with the show. I was, you know why I knew I was done there? Two reasons. One, I would be going out to do my sketch. And I would still have food in my mouth from the craft service table. You know, I'd be doing my, I'd be doing my lines and I'd be like, yeah, so, yeah we can put them there tomorrow, you know? <laughs> and then I would go to my dressing room, which is between uh, Farley's and Sandler's. All my friends were crammed in there. They had a blender. They were making margaritas, you know, and they weren't even watching. They had something else on the TV in there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I got to get in there. I got to get in there and change. And, um, the other reason was, um, I got pushed out of doing SNL. Hmm. I mean, I think most people don't know if people aren't coming back on that show, it's usually because they've been fired. Really? So, and I didn't, I didn't talk about it a lot, but Norm talked about his and it kind of got him a lot of press, you know, because he was doing a lot of, uh, OJ Simpson jokes and the head of NBC was friends, I think with, uh, Don Olmeyer was friends with, uh, OJ Simpson. Right. But yeah, I mean, you know, Sandler got fired. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about Farley, but a lot of people got fired. Farley
0: got fired. Farley got fired, I think, because of the drugs. I think so. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, but that's usually how they shuffle them off, because otherwise people would stay there for a long time. I mean, I would have stayed there. I'd probably still be there right now. (laughs) So did did you, were you told, like,
0: Kevin, it's time for you to move on? Or just, we've had enough of you? Or you suck now? Or what was the
1: the, the reason? Well, first of all, I was very grateful to have been there that long, because I really felt like I, I had that imposter syndrome. Mm. where I felt like I wasn't really a sketch player. And I wasn't. And every year when I got brought back, I thought, really? Okay. So, yeah, I did Weekend Update for um, three seasons. Then there was uh, there was in the air, they were letting me go. And then my manager, who was very powerful and also managed, Lauren Michaels, convinced him to keep me another <laughs> year. <laughs> and uh, he said, you know, you got to do really good this year, you know, because I got Lauren to take you back. So you got to work hard. I said, I always work hard on that show, but they were taking me off weekend update and they put Norm in and Norm did a great job. People love Norm, but you know, everybody that does weekend update, they bring their own personality to her, their own style. I, I like doing it as like Chevy Chase did it, like as a real weekend update and not like a comic right. commenting on the joke or, you know, tongue in cheek kind of a stuff. So, yeah, I think I was a little, um... Hurt by that, that they took me off up Weekend Update, mm-hmm. even though I, you know, I don't think I was a, a really good Weekend Update anchor. But so I kind of like, you know, I used to do all the warm ups on that show um, for, you know, nine seasons or, or no, once Dennis left, because Dennis used to do the warm ups. So, like maybe four years, five years, I did it on there. And then when I got let go, I kind of got angry. I said, well, you know, I really don't feel like doing the warm ups anymore. So, you know. How do you warm ups? Like they warm up the
0: crowd before the show starts? Yeah.
1: And I liked it because you kind of got in touch with the audience. It got you out there. You wouldn't be that nervous. And stand-up is what I felt most comfortable doing. And they liked what I was doing a lot. And um, and then so I stopped doing that. I stopped doing Weekend Update. I just tried to work as hard as I could writing sketches. And then, yeah, so Norm took over Weekend Update. And Norm had a writer. He had Jim Downey, the head writer, working with him, Mm -hmm. which was great. I mean, that was fantastic. And all the other writers. And, yeah, and so here's the other thing, too, is – I got a, uh, it was a great way to exit. I got a sitcom with DreamWorks hmm. called uh, Champs, which, you know, it went. For, it was like a highly touted sitcom and, you know, really high advertising uh, spaces. And everybody thought I was going to go. It went. It lasted like maybe four or five episodes. But I had that to go to. So it wasn't like I was just leaving the show and going back out on the road. Mm-hmm. So I was excited about that. This is how silly it was. My manager said, uh, ask Lauren if you could have permission to leave the show to go do this sitcom (laughs) i'm already not coming back
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes uh, i got permission
1: yeah that's what i did (laughs) do your ear do your earbuds stay in your ear am i not doing it right should i use a smaller like rubber stopper
0: i just use the little uh i got just normal headphone cable i just put one in yeah
1: so oh yeah that's that's a better
0: yeah, it keeps it in a little bit better. So there's the headline for the show: Neilan's earbuds fall out constantly. <laughs> Last question about SNL is: Was there a few guest hosts that were your favorites, or maybe of uh, like people that you were big fans of when you were starting,
1: influenced by? Oh yeah, like Steve Martin was. I was his biggest fan. I loved what he was doing. When a lot of comics start out, they emulate somebody. And when I was in the clubs, there weren't that many comics as there are now. Like everybody does stand up comedy now. And back then, it was only like, you know, you see like Italians doing it, uh, (laughs) African-Americans, Jewish people, and, you know, white people. And everybody was, somebody was doing Richard Pryor, you know, somebody was doing Woody Allen. Right. I guess there was some of me that was doing Steve Martin, Albert Brooks, and Annie Kaufman, because those are my three favorite. So when Steve Martin was on, I was just, I was just so excited, and I wrote some stuff, and. Um, I was in scenes with him. And I couldn't believe it. And then actually he hired me uh, uh, to do uh, his uh, movie a long time ago called Roxanne. I don't know if you ever mm, saw that movie. Yeah, Roxanne. of course. Yeah. yeah. So I was drunk number two in the beginning. I had a, a <laughs> ski pole and I was dueling with him. with a, He had a tennis racket. <laughs> yeah. So I was excited about that. And I guess he had heard I was, I was selected to be on SNL. So he thought he'd hire me. So Steve Martin was, and a lot of musical guests too. I was just really excited about James Taylor. I grew up loving, and mm-hmm. Eric Clapton was on it. And a lot of these guys would stay afterwards and do a little concert, which is cool. No, oh, that's cool. Yeah. So w- when you left
0: SNL, did you? W- was there a lot of buzz? Because I mean, obviously you'd been on for so long. Was it? Was it easier to get gigs? Did you have to go back to the, start from scratch? How did that go?
1: Well, like I said, I went to the. I did that sitcom. So that was really a a big distraction. You said
0: only four or five episodes,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah. They aired four or five, but we did it. We did a lot of episodes, you know, so that was kind of a nice buffer from leaving, Mm -hmm. but you know, that show is really funny. It's sometimes they'll make a big to do about somebody leaving and they'll give a tribute to them and, you know, acknowledge (laughs) how great they were for me. It was just like, and same with, uh, Farley and, and Dana and, uh, and Phil, i mean i don't think well actually i think farley and phil got a little a bit of a send-off they were sitting on the stage together at the end uh which is kind of sad to think back now because they're both gone right. but no i just kind of slipped out of there there was no big fan <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> so would you would you go back on the road again and i know you did a lot of acting you're in a lot of movies is a kind of a combination of the two because here you are working six days a week for 9 years yeah. straight with some breaks in between in the off season but that's a pretty hectic schedule is it easy to step off that conveyor belt
1: uh no uh, you know what's not easy to step off the conveyor belt is stand up comedy because i never stopped doing stand up even on snl on hmm. you know after after rehearsing some nights i go out to the clubs or if we had an off week i I'd, I'd work there and get gigs so that was the hardest thing like during the pandemic you know it was tough to uh not be able to do stand-up comedy. And I know you're probably the same way when you have some weeks off. Now you go back into wrestling, you know, you jump into the ring. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, it's tough to do. It's tough to do. Just to keep up on it, you know, just to keep up on it.
0: You know who's living large at my house? My three cats, Mr. Mittens, Indy, and Snickers. And you know why? Because we switched them to Pretty Litter. Okay, so it's really me and my wife and my daughters who are living large, thanks to Pretty Litter. Because Pretty Litter's ultra-absorbent crystals trap odor instantly, so no more bad cat smells in the bathroom. Pretty litter crystals last up to a month, so less cat litter box cleaning for all of us, and less fighting about whose turn it is to clean the litter box. I gotta deal with this fight every single week between my daughters. This makes it so much easier. Pretty litter also ships right to our front door, so no more last minute mad scramble runs to the store because we're out of kitty litter. And Pretty Litter has another cool feature that makes life just a little easier. It helps us keep tabs on our cat's health. It changes colors so you can monitor early signs of potential illnesses like urinary tract infections and kidney issues. It's easily the best thing we've done for ourselves and our cats in a very long time. Like I said, Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. Those are two big wins in my house, meow. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. So go to prettylitter.com slash Jericho and use code Jericho to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash Jericho. Code Jericho to save 20%. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Well, something else that you're really into that, that I, that I think is cool and that you can see them all behind you is doing the caricatures. And I know you have a, a, a book called I exaggerate, but kind of talk about that. Cause that's, you're like the guy on the San Francisco pier. That's like, come over here. And you draw the quick caricature. And there's some great ones there. I see Carby's behind you and Harry Dean Stanton and uh, a couple other cool cats. So how do you kind of get into that vibe?
1: Like I said, I've always loved sketching caricatures, but I never really flushed them out like I have now, like the ones behind me and the ones that are in the book. I just did kind of quick sketches, and in the clubs, I would take a napkin I sketch the comic, or if I'm on an airplane, I look over there, I sketch them on a barf bag or whatever you know, (laughs) whatever I have. And when I go to these, you know, carnivals or whatever, and I would see the character artist, I just wanted to stand behind that person and watch them draw. Everybody else went off on the rise, and I'm like, okay, I see what he's doing there. He's got that, and. When I was a kid, I had two framed caricatures of my mother and father on the wall, and they were really good. They were from some Parisian artists that used pastels, and it wasn't like the kind you see you know, at some of these fairs. And every night, I would just I would look at them because there's nowhere else to look, and I'd be studying how the artist did that. So you know, for, I don't know, 12 years, I'd be looking at those two caricatures. So I think that really helped me out a lot. And then at SNL, we'd be sitting around the table read and I'd be sketching, you know, Farley across from me or Dana or whoever, Jan Hooks. And then, you know, when Instagram came along, I started seeing some really good artists on Instagram. And those people kind of influenced me too. And I started connecting with some of them and I started drawing and I'd ask them, hey, do you think the eyes are too big or is this too small? And they'd tell me, i okay, thanks. Um, some of those guys are my mentors. So when you do uh, caricature,
0: like, for example, like what do you see? Like I'm uh, not saying in a good way or bad way, like if you're gonna do one of me, like what's the first thing? Is it a nose that you start with? Is it cheekbones? Is it eyes? Is, is it different for every person?
1: It's different for every person. Uh, you know, you have to look at the shape of the face. Like you have a wide nose. Mm. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> I guess I do now. <laughs> I'm just checking out. <laughs> yeah. And then you have the big smile with the T. So you know, your your smile would be big, you'd have a square chin uh and a wide nose you have kind of a slanty eyes (laughs) (laughs) you just gotta lay it all out
0: there (laughs) yeah
1: yeah. some of my friends go hey why aren't I in your book I said because you're my friend (laughs) (laughs) exactly right (laughs) yeah but it is true I can't walk around now without feel like I'm in a fun house because everybody I see everybody's outstanding features, and I go okay and that person I do you know like a little chin and um droopy eyes or whatever so it, it's kind of interesting. Well, I, I can see that because you're probably thinking
0: in your head, how would I sketch this person if if
1: they asked me to or whatever it may be. Yeah, but I like doing the book. The book took me you know, a couple of years to do it. I was started during the before the pandemic, and it was cool doing it, doing it during the pandemic because I couldn't do stand-up anywhere. And caricatures, I would post them online. It's kind of like nonverbal comedy. Mm-hmm. People kind of laugh at it. And then when I was finished with that book, I mean, I just had it. Man, I was just I couldn't draw one more picture. I, I haven't drawn a picture uh, or painted a picture like, in almost a year. I just started back today. Oh, wow. Because somebody wanted a, a picture of uh, someone for it's, their birthday. Because I've been editing, you know, I did a hiking show, and I've been editing that, a lot of those. Well,
0: let's talk about that. Let's talk about the hiking show. I know you have that on YouTube, It's Hiking with Kevin. So kind of what's
1: the, is, was
0: that another pandemic idea?
1: No, it wasn't really. I, I had been doing that for three years before the pandemic. And I I started doing it. I went hiking, and it's all in the canyons, mostly around LA. And I called my friend Matt, Matthew Modine, you know, the actor. Mm -hmm. And I said, Matt, you want to go for a hike? He goes, sure. And I hadn't seen him for a while, and we're hiking up this really steep incline. We're both out of breath. And our conversation was very broken up with, you know, so uh, Matt, Mm -hmm. when you, uh, you know, you moved from from new york and um you and and, uh, i thought this would be a funny like pseudo interview kind of a thing so i kind of held up the camera like that
0: Mm. and uh
1: videotaped and i posted it on twitter and uh and it you know it was fun it was fun and then uh he said you should do more of these you should like call it hiking with Kevin or something and so i did and then i got the selfie stick and the first season is really bouncy because I just have a selfie stick with i got you know an older camera right yeah it was just (laughs) uh, it was a lot more um techie as i went through each year and now i have a a gopro on the end of a selfie stick i have a drone i fly and i edit it myself on premiere pro when i get home but i've had some really fun guests on there i've had like 150 hikes so far that's great yeah it's been fun and i've got so many fun people like this year I, i had paul rudd kick it off conan's been on a couple of times and sandler um i mean a lot of it and then i had one woman diane Nyad. i think her name was she swam from Cuba to Florida. You know, she broke the record. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, she talked about that. So, yeah, I've been having a lot of fun doing that.
0: Is there some people that are better hikers than interviews and some people <laughs> are better interviews than hikers?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's some. There's some that um, take it too seriously, right? Mm-hmm. And it's all really <laughs> silly. I usually tell my my guests, they say, you know what, I'm just going to ask you a lot of silly questions just so we can have bites, you know, little sound bites. And they go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But some people are not that in shape. And they'll say to me, I can't do this. Like uh Spade, David Spade, for example, says, no <laughs> inclines, no inclines. and I'll do it. And it's got to be in between traffic rush hour, right? <laughs> and I need snacks because I'm hypoglycemic. I said, okay, all right. So I found the flattest hike ever. And like we're 20 minutes in and it's flat. He goes, are we going up like a... incline here? (laughs) It's like that. But as the uh, years have gone by, you know, now we're into year six with the pandemic. I didn't do anything during the pandemic. The first season started off with inclines like that. Right. The next season, like that. The next (laughs) season, like that. And now it's just like that. (laughs) Because, you know, I'm just like, don't want to work hard. And then next season will be downhill of my car waiting at the bottom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. This one way down. That's it. That's all we yeah. got. Yeah.
0: Do you find that that um, when you see a guy like Spade or Adam Sandler again, you know, is it like kind of war buddies that you haven't seen them for years? But as soon as you get together, it's just like old times, like nothing's ever
1: yeah no
0: time has passed
1: is that what it's like in wrestling i bet it would be like that
0: yeah it is or in music too
1: or anybody that you've used you were you were close with and you don't see them for a while it's like dude how's it going you know nothing changes yeah it's the same with snl yeah when you see these guys it's just kind of like you know it's like being coming from a platoon in a war you know you know like i played football in college i played for one season and these guys they, they fell in love with me and Every time I'm performing in New York, they come and see me. Like It's like an old army combat troop. Right, 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 right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, when, you know, when I see Sandler or Lovitz or Spade, I don't really see too many other people, I don't think, mm-hmm. from that show. Tim Meadows, once in a while, I see him. He's on one of my hikes. Those guys have all done my hikes, by the way, except for Lovitz. <laughs> well,
0: not the most hiking type of a, of a guy right. another thing about about, about, your, about your book i exaggerate is you told some great stories about the caricatures that you've done yeah there, there's a really cool uh, gary shandling story about when you did his
1: eulogy uh, at his funeral yeah um, gary was a good friend of mine he was my mentor and i had known him for so long and i used to watch him on the tonight show and I just studied him, his style. I studied even his, what he wore. You know, he wore these really nice Armani suits. And, of course, he died, uh, I think it was about six years ago. And it was such a shock because it came out of nowhere. He had a um,
0: mm.
1: like a blood clot. So anyway, um, yeah, they had the memorial for him. And there was so much love there for him. And you know, they were like showing pictures and different people getting up to speak. And. And I got up to speak and I'd written something because it was a month after he died. So I had plenty of time to kind of reflect on our life together. I would be flying places, writing and thinking about him. So I had this um, eulogy I'd written and it was really out of love and everything that I remembered about him. And luckily I had it peppered with jokes. Otherwise I never would have gotten through it. Mm-hmm. so it would it would kind of like be very depressing and then i would have a joke and it'd bring the audience back up you know <laughs> yeah, and yeah. then uh you get down the hill again and then another joke like little islands of relief so it was really i think probably one of the most responsive bits um i've ever uh done before because comedy always works better with tragedy
0: right sure yeah well, that's kind of the basis of, of, of most comedians is the Paganini type thing where it's a very dark based mindset that you could have for some of this comedy. Yeah, that's right. That's right. By the way, you're really good at this. You're really oh. good at this. <laughs> Thanks, man. It's been 10 years. 10 years. Really? I've been you waiting mean? to have you. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. I didn't
1: even know you were doing this.
0: Yeah, I started it back in 2013. So yeah, it's over a thousand episodes oh, now. So.
1: Wow. You should be a lot better then.
0: <laughs> see <laughs> i'm trying i'm trying uh let's talk about another great thing that i found uh and i don't even know i didn't even watch it it's 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 on youtube and it's called the worst time i ever bombed do you remember this uh this video here
1: i try to forget every time i bombed <laughs> it was yeah.
0: a speech that you did about some kind of an elephant uh thing you told it on oh, the tonight right, show right.
1: yeah yeah do you yeah.
0: recall this i do
1: i was with bob barker
0: oh well tell me i i worked with bob as well what a guy did you run really? yeah, yeah yeah i
1: worked with a happy gilmore we did together i was doing a lot of work uh, with animal groups back then and uh this was uh, i think this was specifically PETA, people for the ethical treatment of animals anyway they had an elephant in the milwaukee zoo that and they had very small enclosures for the elephant and i think this one was called billy the elephant anyway i went there with bob barker to um you know, try to raise awareness about the elephant. So you get them out of there and give them a bigger enclosure somewhere. They had a radio station that came and they were throwing peanuts and stuff. And (laughs) and then uh, I, I, like a year later, we're going down to, uh, to uh, the city hall in um, LA to really kind of talk about Billy the elephant again. And I was on last and people like Cher were getting up and really being very (laughs) eloquent with their speaking. And, you know, you get a minute, you get a minute to speak. Everybody was really passionate about it. And I got up and I used like 30 seconds and I really had nothing left else to say because <laughs> everybody said it, you know. <laughs> so that's probably one of the, one of the uh, times. And, you know, the, the zoo people had all the people on the other side with picket signs and stuff. <laughs> Louis That's Thomas. the thing. you can think thinking, I can do a
0: minute about elephant. It's the big <laughs> deal.
1: Know.
0: You realize how long a freaking minute is, right? Oh, my God. Yeah, it is.
1: It's a long time.
0: As, as we start to wind down here, you're doing still a lot of stand-ups. And to me, this is kind of your part of your DNA. Uh, you obviously still love going on the road. Yeah. What do you do now with your stand-up as far
1: as material-wise? I've been doing stand-up for a long time. And you kind of always are evolving as a stand-up. Like you would be a musician. You're always looking for new things to keep you interested. So that's kind of what I've been doing. You just keep working on new material and, and different points of view, I guess you would say, to come up with material and, and take more chances. So mm-hmm. it seems like a lot of my material has become very dark lately, probably because I'm getting older. You know, and, mm-hmm. and I've always been more of an absurdist comic. I'm just thinking about this. I've been thinking about this for the last week or so. And I'm noticing a lot of these comics are filling up stadiums. I mean, like, you know, tens of thousands of people going out there like they're, you know, like the Beatles or something. And I'm, and I'm watching their um, specials. Because I'm wondering um, you know, what I should be doing to get maybe 100 people in a club. <laughs> 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 and, you know, I, I met you on that radio station in Tampa. I was trying yeah. to get you know, people to come and fill those seats. So I watched it. And I think for the most part, it's about material that the audience can relate to, whether it's about your family or your marriage or um, your personal, whatever's happening to you. And a lot of my stuff is just crazy, absurd stuff like that you know so mm-hmm. i've been thinking a lot about that lately about maybe restructuring my act so are you are you able to do that at this stage of the game completely change everything that you're doing i mean i do some of that stuff it's just that there's it's kind of peppered with that um you know crazy absurd stuff you know and it's kind of like i said it's dark too right, right so right. um you know i mean it's it's fine it's great gets good response good reaction but I think the more material you can do that people can relate to it, it hits deeper as opposed to that surface kind of, Oh, that's nuts, man. What he said, that guy, (laughs) instead of like, Oh yeah, honey, you do that. You do exactly what he was talking about. (laughs) And they love it.
0: Let's uh, last few things. I I meant to mention her earlier. I find she's one of the most underrated uh, performers in SNL history. Uh, I know you had a personal relationship with Jan Hooks. Yeah, I'd uh, kind of talk about Jan a little bit because I, I think people don't mention her when you talk about the overall. I think you guys would, as the performers on the show. Yeah. But fans might forget.
1: Like, she was so good in almost everything she did on that show. She was amazing, Chris. She was, um, she was such a star. She came from that sketch comedy background. Mm-hmm. I mean, if anybody, if anybody has not seen her, you should check out on YouTube and uh, look up Jan Hooks and those sketches. She was just amazing. Mm. also uh tremendous stage fright which a lot of people don't know about wow and we were dating at the time so i was spending a lot of friday nights over her apartment kind of trying to settle her down <laughs> to get ready for the next night and then she'd go out there and she'd kill it you know she would kill it but you know they're, they've had quite a few really outstanding uh, women that were sketch players on that show over the years you know but Jan is right up there. That's why I think Jan is right up there. and doesn't get the mentions yes. of,
0: you know, uh, Kristen Wiig or you know Gilda Radner. They talk about that and Sherry O'Terry and those type of girls. But Kate McKinnon, think, yeah, yeah, of course, right, exactly. So I always want to give Jan some props when uh, when I when I. Can oh, that's nice. Out, so
1: yeah, yeah.
0: So there's a list of uh, imitations of impressions here that uh, you have known to be doing.
1: And, you know, you first know, of all. Can, before you even make that list, I don't do impressions. <laughs> and when I was in SNL, they would give me uh, characters to do that I somewhat look like or I could look like if they gave me the right. right, okay. <laughs> well, let me just say what your
0: interpretation is. And th- this list might even be Bullshit. I don't know, but you, you, you obviously got like a Tom Selleck and a Ru- Rudy Giuliani. But or- when you see, but yes, you might not do this. When you, how about a Michael Gross? How do you do a Michael Gross? Of course, is the dad from Family Ties. Oh, you, family Ties. Yeah, gibber you ever do this uh, one?
1: I, I, they give me a, a wig and a, a beard, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I play it myself. <laughs> so that's
0: invitation is that you just look like the guy?
1: That's I just look like him. And there was one <laughs> character I did. I'm trying to remember his name. He's a newscaster. But anyway, he had droopy eyes, so <laughs> I would go out there and do him, and I would have to. I would hold my eyes down like this. Like a Weekend update and do him. Sam Donaldson, his name was Sam Donaldson. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> I remember uh, there was a, a Brent Musburger, a little bit Charles Grodin. Are these even guys that you would do? No,
1: I mean Charles Grodin. I could do. I would love him in the Heartbreak Kid. <laughs> Here's my one line for Charles Grodin. Oh no, come on. That's all I can
0: (laughs) do. That works. Come on. Uh, Johnny Whitaker. There's so many funny ones. I was like, I don't think he does any of these ones that that are on here. Uh, Mr. Spock. I was
1: the first one to do um, Joe Biden, though, when he was a senator. Oh, wow. So I was pretty happy with that.
0: (laughs) It's a fairly easy one to do nowadays. But what are the differences
1: between Biden as a senator and Biden as the president? No different, no different at all. <laughs> and I didn't I didn't even have his impression down. You know, he was like so unknown. Right, 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 right.
0: Oh, it's funny. Last question for you, Kevin. What is, uh, it's twofold. What's your favorite movie that you've ever been in? As far as like a, a character oh, that you played? Because you've been in so many.
1: Or TV show, you've been in so many. Fun-wise, Roxanne, it was really fun because we did that in British Columbia. And we hung out for like three weeks up there. We had mountain bikes. It was a ski resort town. But I would say maybe um, Happy Gilmore. Mm-hmm. You know, with Adam Sandler, harness the good, block the bad, feel the flow <laughs> happening. It's circular, it's <laughs> circular, <laughs> you know. And I got to hang out with Sandler and all those guys. And that was a th- great thing about doing those movies. It's, it's kind of like, like a camp. You know, you play basketball all the time and playing guitars and just, you know, hanging out.
0: What about, um, what about Weeds? We didn't talk about that. That was, pretty, that was a pretty successful show that you were
1: involved with. Yeah, Weeds was great. great. It was a great show. I was hired on that for the pilot just to be a guest star. And then the show got picked up, and the uh, the woman that created it, Genji Cohen, wanted to keep me on the show. So that was great. It's funny; I was on that show, but I was not a pot smoker. <laughs> and a lot of people go, "How, how uh, was that good pot on that show?" <laughs> I said, "Well, it's not real pot. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a show. It's a honey rose herb. It's called, and uh, that's what they use in all these movies and TV shows where someone's smoking pot or regular cigarettes because it's kind of very, you know, light lightweight, and it's a honey rose herb." But it's still uh, it's dangerous because we get it from the Honey Rose Herb cartel in Columbia. <laughs> Columbia, South Carolina, actually. Yeah, that's right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and last question for you, what's your favorite SNL
1: sketch that you were ever in? Is there one that stands out to you? Oh, um, there's two that I really liked. You know, aside from the Hans and Franz stuff, I wrote one. I think it was one of my last sketches I wrote. It's called The Bathroom Attendant, where I played a bathroom attendant in a very, very small bathroom. It just had a, a toilet with no stall. <laughs> 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 and I could barely fit in there. And Harvey Keitel was hosting, and he came in and he thought I was using the bathroom. I said, No, I'd explain. I had a taxi. I said, No, no, no. I, I work here. He goes, Oh, okay. So it's very awkward for him. It's everything like, uh, uh, We go number one, or are you dropping anchor today? Oh, you're dropping anchor. Okay. Uh, there you go. I helped him take his coat off. Uh, I put the seat down for him, you know, and as he's sitting there, He's got the paper over his head, the newspaper. I'm, we have Cologne. We have Aramis. We have Haikarati, uh, We have Brute. <laughs> he goes, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> so uh, I like that one. And then also there was one I think Sandler wrote, maybe with a couple other guys. It was called um, Oh, Bellissimo, I think it was called. It took place in a restaurant. And Kirstie and Allen and I came in. We were a couple. And the waiters are all like Italian. They're kissing her. Hey, What they go? Come on, maybe. you know. And they kiss her. And I'm like, well, hey, what's going on here? He goes, that's what they do. She says, and it just progresses. And you know, it's like, you know, they're rubbing her hair, and you know, <laughs> she's sitting down. I'm like, hey, what's going on here? And then in the background, you see uh, Victoria on the table with her legs up, and one of the waiters that's you know nailing her in the back. <laughs> and then when we're leaving. We're leaving like Santa's in a Speedo. (laughs) I think there's,
0: yeah. Don't they even end up crawling into bed at some point? I think there was another sketch where that. They end up crawling into the bed. Bellissimo. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Kevin, it's been great talking to you, man. And uh, I'm glad we had a chance to reconnect. And uh, hopefully get a chance to see each other again at some obscure radio show when we're both promoting something.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Text me anytime, too. I'll answer it. I will. I got I got your number too. I'm gonna to make sure that uh, it's still in there. I, I, I must have answered your texts. I must. You have, did. I did. like it.
0: Yeah. Well, you did. Yeah, Kevin Nealon. Let me see if there's any text. Sometimes they disappear. Now the, the texts have disappeared, but the uh, the name remains. So I'm right back at you. I won't even show. Oh them yeah, right.
1: yeah. I use invisible text ink. So see, you're smarter than I mind. am. I, I yeah. I just yeah. showed your
0: number to the world. Don't worry, this won't air.
1: Nice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. All right, man. Cheers, dude. Thanks for having. Thanks, man. See you soon.